Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters four, five, and six of Divergent. So what happened last time? A lot. So we covered the first three chapters. We got introduced to this society. Well, not so much introduced as plopped into. This is a society made up of five factions that absolutely do not mix, except of course at school, on the bus, (laughs) on the street, they're running into factionless people. Okay. So there's actually six factions, really. Really, when you think about it, you've got your abnegation, your candor, your dauntless, your erudite, and God, what's the other one? Amity. And then there's the factionless, which is its own faction, ironically. And they are all based around one single unifying trait, which apparently they all conform to. But then when you turn 16, you have a little aptitude test, which, which is meant to tell you which faction you actually belong to. And then you get the choice to break free from what you were raised in and then go with this new faction, but you never get to see your family ever again, which just sounds ridiculous. A lot of weight to put on a kid's shoes. Like I remember worrying in year 12 being like, oh, what, what degree will I do at uni? If, if I do a literature degree, will I ever use it? Well, turns out kind of, <laughs> I'm only ever using it through this podcast. But yeah, those are, the, those are the questions I was grappling with. But here they're like, am I kind or am I a truth teller? Am I a truth teller or am I brave? Am I brave or am I selfless? Or am I selfless or am I educated? Which oh, just doesn't fit. Like, are you telling me that the Candas aren't educated? I, d- I have a lot of problems with the way this society is set up. And I've got to shout out listener Bob, who is so funny. He commented on the Instagram at Breaking Down Bad Books. His Instagram name is Bobopolis. And he commented saying, just listening to the Divergent one now. Oh my goodness. What is this world building? This is the fever dream of someone who likes Myers-Briggs, but thought it had too many questions. <laughs> Honestly, just picking a Spice Girls trait to follow would make more sense than this load of balls. Oh my God. That's funny, Bob. I was so tickled by that because you're so right. They may as well have just picked a Spice Girls trait, but I think I would be factionless if that were the case. I don't know if I'm sporty. I'm not a baby. I'm not posh. I'm not a ginger. I'm not scary. I think I'd be factionless if it was a Spice Girls society. That's just, that's just me. Or I'd be divergent. I'd be all of them. Who knows? And actually I did take the test. Another listener sent through one of those like Buzzfeed type quests being like, what faction are you in? And so I answered the questions and I'm candor, which I, I kind of feel is correct. 
Like, obviously, no one's one single trait. Everyone has multiple traits within them. But, like, if you had to pick one of the five, I don't know. I feel like I'm a candor. All that is just a really nice preamble, a really long preamble to the next chapter. So it's chapter four. Remember, she just was walking down the street. She got grabbed by a factionless homeless person, which she just thought was the most scary and horrifying experience of her life. She didn't even want to give the guy apple slices. She thought about throwing them at him so she could escape. And it's like, babe, if you're going to be abnegation about it, just give him the fucking apple slices. Anyway, she says she reaches her street five minutes before she usually would, according to her watch, which she's allowed. Apparently abnegation only allow watches because they're practical. So it's gray with a glass face. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty boring watch. It's not like she's got a fancy calculator watch or something or an Apple watch, but she says if she tilts it just right, she can almost see her reflection in the watch. Because remember, she can only see her reflection on the second Tuesday or whatever of every third month, whatever bullshit reasons that abnegation have built up. I don't know what this abnegation are trying to get out. Like, like, does it really matter if someone can look at their reflection? Like, I know they're meant to be selfless. Like they're only meant to think about other people and and never have any attention on themselves. But you'd think abnegation would care more about their actions, like whether their actions are being selfless. Who gives a shit if you can look at yourself in the mirror? Not to mention all the reflective surfaces that exist in the world that aren't mirrors that they would stumble across on a day-to-day basis. And she says even all their houses are the same size, the same shape, all made with the same grey cement, economical, no-nonsense rectangles. So they're not even jazzing up their houses with some paint or a fancy mailbox or like a garden gnome. Not allowed. And she says, you know, it's, it's simplicity to help us forget ourselves. It's to protect us from vanity, greed, envy, which are all just forms of selfishness. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could blanket term them as being selfish qualities, but I, I, I don't know. She says, if we have little, want for little, and we're all equal, then we envy no one. Well, yeah, that, that would be great if there weren't these four other factions that also live in your society. Like you go to school every day. And you watch the Dauntless jumping off a train and climbing up a statue and you're envying them. You were looking around the cafeteria earlier, looking at these people playing cards and these people having a spirited debate and you were like jealous. So yeah, envy can still exist because you're not in your own little abnegation bubble. Other people exist around you. And then Caleb's coming down the street, getting off the bus and she can hear laughter. And she tells us, oh, at school, we try not to draw attention to ourselves. But once we're home... Well, that's when the games and the jokes start. So apparently abnegation are just all jokesters, except for sarcasm. They do not like sarcasm. And she says she has a natural tendency towards sarcasm, which isn't appreciated because sarcasm is at someone else's expense. So maybe you're not abnegation, babe. Like, so remember last, last few chapters, she found out she's divergent. She could be both abnegation or erudite or one of the other shitty ones. Dauntless, that's right. And so she's got this quandary over her head. All she knows is that she's not kind and she's not smart. (laughs) And throughout these chapters, she's trying to convince herself that she could be a good abnegation, even though everything she says is just at odds with the abnegation lifestyle. She seems to be saying like, oh, I appreciate the simplicity. And I'm like, well, just because you appreciate something doesn't mean you should make a whole life defining choice just to have that simplicity in your life. And so Caleb's like, where the hell are you been? And she pretends that she got sick from the liquid they gave them at the aptitude test. I'd love to find out what that liquid was. I I do think it's LSD. 
And then Susan and Robert are there, they're neighbors. And they're like, oh, we took the bus because dad has to work late. (laughs) Okay, who gives a shit? So Caleb says, well, you're welcome to come over later. And Susan's like, oh, thanks, Caleb. And she's smiling. And then her and Robert are exchanging a look, being like, look at these two flirting again. Because apparently they've been making eyes at each other all year long. But you know, they're abnegations. The flirting is tentative. These poor kids can't even flirt. I don't know why Veronica Roth's setting that up. Unless they both end up in the same faction, who gives a shit? They're never going to get together unless we're talking like a star-crossed love story. If that's the case, why is this book not from their perspective? And so then she's just looking at Caleb, just thinking about how well-suited he is to abnegation. Just, you know, learning a trade, marrying Susan, having a family. It will be wonderful. And Caleb's like, uh, so what the hell happened? And she's like, I can't tell you. And then she hears a train horn in the background and she says, oh, it sounds like the Dauntless calling me to them. Ridiculous. I don't even know how she's hearing a train horn because last chapter she was telling us that the abnegation live all the way out in the boondocks and the train just goes on a certain loop nowhere near them. So it must be a really loud train or someone next door has just farted or something and she's mistook it for a train horn. Anyway, she fobs him off and then she's like, oh shit. I want to go and have a lie down, have a little nap, but it's my turn to make dinner because they all have to take turns to cook. But I don't really know how fair that is because she says, well, my brother made breakfast this morning. Mum prepared our lunches. Dad made dinner last night. So I've got to make dinner tonight. And I was like, well, I would, I would kind of think that breakfast isn't that hard. What did you just pour them out some cereal? You could have done that yourself. I expect the, the different meal times must rotate. Uh, you'd hope so. You'd hope so. It just reminds me of when I was in a share house during uni and we had like a a housemate cleaning roster. And you know what? That was good for week one. And then it all went to shit because there'd always be that one lazy person. It may or may not have been me who's half assing it. And when it's their job for dishes week and the dishes are just not getting done. But also I always thought one person being on dishes, one person cleaning toilets, one person taking the bins out. And then one other person's just like mopping the kitchen floor once a week. And I was like, well, I'd rather do that every week instead of doing the dishes every night. They didn't seem fair to me. Anyway, everyone who's ever lived in a share house knows these sorts of issues are problems. And I imagine they're problems even for abnegation folk. (sighs) Anyway, so she goes to the kitchen to start cooking and Caleb comes to help. And she's like, ugh, annoyed. She says she grits her teeth. And I was like, well, maybe be grateful. Maybe grateful should be a faction, although she wouldn't be in it because she's completely ungrateful. She says, what irritates me most about him is his natural goodness, his inborn selflessness. And it's like, babe, he could be faking it just as much as you're faking it. Spoiler alert, he is. And honestly, I don't even think she needed the help. She says, I cook peas on the stove. Like, okay, how fucking hard's that? Well, he's defrosting four pieces of chicken. Sounds like you could have handled it on your own. You could have been defrosting the chicken while you were working on the peas. She says, most of what we eat is frozen or canned because farms these days are really far away. Oh, and then we get this great little tidbit. She says, my mother told me once that a long time ago, there were people who wouldn't buy genetically engineered produce because they viewed it as unnatural. Now we have no other option. So I think that's Veronica just being like, look, it's a dystopia. They have to eat genetically modified food. Isn't that crazy? But again, I'm thinking like this Beatrice chick, she has too much knowledge of history. Especially since she's not in the erudite faction. She's not a reader. So her dad comes in. He's like, oh, how'd the test go? She says, fine. And then she tells us, I couldn't be candor. I lie too easily. It's like, 
We know. That's, that's the one thing the test told us because you didn't pick up the knife or something. And then her mum says, I heard there was some kind of upset with one of the tests. And rot row, obviously that's her test. How Caleb isn't putting two and two together at, at this point in time, I don't know. But apparently her mum works for the government. She manages city improvement projects. And she recruited volunteers to administer the aptitude tests, which is, seems pretty convenient. She goes, most of the time, though, she organises workers to help the factionless with food and shelter and job opportunities. Well, do you want to maybe point her in the direction of the guy that assaulted you on the street last chapter? Because you, all you did was give him some apple slices. It seems like they're putting so much effort. Well, she, she's putting so much effort into helping the factionless with jobs and food and shelter and opportunities. Maybe just give them another shot at joining a faction. Maybe let them have a second chance. Anyway, well, apparently her friend Erin said that something went wrong with one of the tests, so the results had to be reported verbally. And she says apparently the student got sick and was sent home early. And then her mother's like, meh, I hope they're all right. Did you guys hear about that at all? And then Caleb says no, so he's covering for her. And she's like, he couldn't be candor either. I still think people who are in candor can still lie. So then they sit down at dinner. No one can start until everybody's got their plate in front of them. And she thinks that's just like a huge big deal. Only abnegation ever do this. What a crazy custom. And I was like, well, it's, it's kind of just being polite. I don't know how they do it in Dauntless, but I guess they're all just eating willy nilly. And then they say a prayer. And then, oh, the dumbest sentence I've ever read. She says, not every abnegation family is religious, but my father says we should try not to see those differences because they will only divide us. And, and yet they're happy living in it in a society with five factions and then a whole group of factionless people who don't get a place to live. But no, it's religion that will divide them. You know, okay, sure. Not, not the factions that are dividing society. So then her mother says to her father, tell me what's bothering you. And then she feels bad that she didn't notice that something was bothering her dad. And I'm like, oh, get over it. You're a teenager. No one's really asking you to be that considerate. And he says, oh, I had a tough day at work. Well, I didn't really, but Marcus did. And she tells us, oh, Marcus is my father's co-worker. They are both political leaders. And this is when she tells us, the city is ruled by a council of 50 people composed entirely of representatives from abnegation because our faction is regarded as incorruptible due to our commitment to selflessness. Now, no, absolutely no way. I mentioned this last week, but there is absolutely no way that a society or a government can function when the whole of the government is only representing like one fifth of the population. Oh, well, less than one fifth because of all the factionless. Like that's why in Australia, we have a federation of states with a Senate and a a lower house so that no state can have control over the government. And Veronica's clearly never read Animal Farm because, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because 50 abnegation people are just apparently incorruptible. The power's not going to their head. But if I was Dauntless or Kanda or Amity or Erudite, I'd be like, actually, I wouldn't mind having a representative in our government. That would be swell. And then I'm sort of thinking if you really wanted to hack the system, wouldn't you just like tell your kids, oh, hey, when you go to your choosing ceremony, do you want to pretend to be abnegation just so we can secretly rule the government? Maybe that's happening. Because if I was a sneaky little dauntless, I'd be putting in spies into abnegation just so I could corrupt the government. Especially if it's me and 49 other losers that don't even look in a mirror. 
I'd be making all the decisions and manipulating everybody. God, it would never happen. Oh, so dumb. I'm like, I know, I know it would never happen, but it's just like the suspension of disbelief. It's just too much. And she says, oh, representatives from each of the other factions can speak in the meetings on behalf of a particular issue, but ultimately the decision is the council's. And then she tells us, while the council technically makes decisions together, this Marcus guy is particularly influential. And she says, it's been this way since the beginning of the great peace when all the factions were formed. And she says, I think the system persists because we're afraid of what might happen if it didn't. War. Ugh. I, I, uh, I really doubt the system is, is as flawless as she thinks it is. I think our eyes will be opened up quite considerably. And like, I know I said, I've seen the movie like a few years ago. Don't really remember it. But Kate Winslet, she's like a, a, a boss bitch. She's some sort of powerful person in the behind the scenes or something. So we'll have to see what happens there. But that's why I've got an inkling that all is not right in the state of Denmark or post-apocalyptic Chicago, as it were. And then her mum says, oh, is this the report from Janine Matthews that was released? Is that what you're talking about? Beatrice narrates, Janine Matthews is Erudite's sole representative selected based on her IQ score. So Erudite only have one representative that can speak to the council and yet not make any decisions. So she's got the best IQ score out of anybody in this whole freaking society and she's not allowed to make any decisions. Like, wouldn't we want the smart people in government? But I guess not. So so the smart people, what are their jobs? What are their jobs? I think she tells us later on that they're just like researchers. It's like, okay, what, what are they researching? That's a fifth of the population. Can we not put them to work doing something else? Like she even tells us that the doctors are abnegation. And I'm sorry, but I would want a smart doctor looking after me. I wouldn't want a selfless doctor looking after me. Anyway, so this smart bitch, she's done a report. And apparently it's a report attacking Marcus's character, which would be a big deal because abnegation, all they've got is character. Anyway, Beatrice and Caleb are asking questions, but apparently they're not meant to speak at dinner. They're only meant to listen. It's just one of those dumb abnegation rules. And apparently the report said that Marcus's violence and cruelty towards his son is the reason his son chose Dauntless instead of abnegation. And this is when she tells us, few people who are born into abnegation choose to leave it, which just floors me. I would have left that place before I turned 16. I would have ran away to be factionless just so I could look in a mirror and talk at the dinner table. So apparently two years ago, Marcus's son, Tobias, he left for Dauntless and Marcus was devastated and everybody talked about it. They said Tobias was his only child and his only family since his wife died giving birth to their second child. And that infant died minutes later, which is just a big info dump for us. She's just saying, hey guys, this chick, she's going to eventually choose Dauntless and run into this Tobias character. And this is Tobias's backstory before we even meet Tobias. Just so you know, just flagging it, just flagging it, everybody. But this goes back to my point from last week. Like it's, it's a choice that's not really a choice because there's all these repercussions. He chooses Dauntless as he is allowed to do. And everyone's talking about it years later. And then apparently it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an important report that needs to be made at the government level. And why is this high IQ'd Janine writing a report about Marcus's son Tobias? Like, mind your own business. How do you know? I thought the factions weren't meant to mingle, but here she is knowing all of Abnegation's business. And then her father gets really hated. He's like, oh, his son betrayed him. And then he says, Erudite have been attacking us with these reports for months. And he says, and this isn't the end. There will be more. I guarantee it. Well, who cares? Let them report on what they want. You've got sole power. 
You told us abnegation, they're the only ones that can make decisions in this society. So let the Janine chick write whatever she wants. Who really cares? Oh, and then she asks another question, asking why. And then her mum's like, um, maybe listen. (laughs) Because remember, she's not allowed to talk because she's abnegation. And this is like the tipping point for her. She's thinking, I'm not sure I can live this life of obligation any longer. And like, yeah, I agree. Go speak your truth. And then her dad says that the reason erudite are writing these reports is because abnegation have something that they want. Valuing knowledge above all else results in a lust for power. And that leads men into dark and empty places. Okay, well then why? When the, the society was created, why did they pick such a corruptible group to be one fifth of the population? And that's why she's like, ah, well, you know what? I'll never choose erudite. Even though my aptitude tests said I could be erudite, I would never. I am my father's daughter. And then they get sent to their room. They're not allowed to help clean up because they have to go to their room and think about their choice. They have to think about their results. And it's like, oh, fuck me. How hard is it? Like if the aptitude test says you're erudite and you were born an erudite, then just pick erudite. Like what's there to think about? Like I know I said earlier, it's a big decision, but if you're being brainwashed into one faction or another, like what, what are you got to consider? You would only really have anything to consider if you were like Beatrice and you were a divergent. So on the way to her room, Caleb stops her and he says, Beatrice, we should think of our family, but, but we also must think of ourselves. And she's interpreting that as being like, oh, I've never seen him think of himself, never heard him insist on anything but selflessness. And she's startled. And she says, the tests don't have to change our choices. And he's like, don't they though? (laughs) And he smiles as he says it. So like, okay, that's a cryptic little response. But she's just still assuming that he got told that he's abnegation and that he's going to stick with it. Even though she walks past his bedroom and she looks in and she sees an unmade bed and a stack of books on his desk. (gasps) A stack of books. What could that possibly be a hint at? Could, Could it possibly be that he might belong to the one faction that values knowledge. (laughs) And then she goes to her bedroom and she sort of thinks, well, you know what? It will require a great act of selflessness to choose abnegation or a great act of courage to choose dauntless. And maybe just choosing one over the other will prove that I belong. So she's saying, if I make a selfless act, then I'll truly be selfless. Uh, Okay, sure, whatever. And then she says, tomorrow, those two qualities will struggle within me and only one can win. Okay, yeah, that's not how qualities work. And that's the end of that chapter. So then we go on to chapter five. So chapter five starts with her catching the bus to the choosing ceremony. And she says, a pale ring of sunlight burns into the clouds like the end of a lit cigarette. I will never smoke one myself. They are closely tied to vanity. So I think she just was telling us about that cloud formation just so she could slip in that cigarette smoking's not allowed in abnegation. And she's just telling us that she's anxious because she doesn't know what she's going to do. And then with the flurry of people going up to the choosing ceremony at the hub, AKA Sears Tower, she says the elevator is crowded. So my father volunteers to give a cluster of Amity our place. Oh, so they climb the stairs and the Amity get to, to go up in the elevator. Okay, you, they're the kind ones. You think the kind ones would be like, nah, nah, you guys go ahead. But I guess being kind and selfless are two opposite things. They can't coexist in the same person. Or they just express their kindness in other ways. Anyway, 
as soon as he starts taking the stairs, all the other abnegation are like, oh shit, now we've got to take the stairs too. So they're all guilt tripped into going up the stairs. And you know, that's just part of their, their quality of selflessness. And I was like, well, is it selflessness if you get guilted into it? Like is a good deed a good deed if you're only doing it to get benefits out of your own good deed? Oh, and also it's 20 flights of stairs. 20 flights to get to the choosing ceremony. I'm sorry, but I would just wait for the lift. There should be multiple lifts. Why would you have the choosing ceremony up 20 flights if there aren't enough lifts to accommodate that? I think they were just being impatient by choosing to go up the stairs. (sighs) Ridiculous. So they finally get to the 20th floor. She says the room is arranged in concentric circles and on the edges of the circles stand the 16 year olds of every faction. They're not members yet because once they make a decision today, then they'll become initiates and then they'll become members if they complete initiation. So they're not even members of their own faction, technically. Uh, Sounds like semantics. And then they arrange themselves in alphabetical order according to the last names they may leave behind today. So if they, if they change factions, they also lose their last name. And apparently the responsibility to conduct the ceremony rotates from faction to faction each year. And this year, coincidentally, it's abnegation's turn. So Marcus, who, you know, is violent towards his son, that's why his son went to Dauntless, apparently according to that Jenny bitch from Erudite, He's doing the opening address and he's reading the names in reverse alphabetical order. Now, what purpose does reverse alphabetical order serve? I'm flabbergasted by that. Reverse alphabetical order? You may as well just abandon all pretense of order. And in the last circle, just the last of many different circles, there are five metal bowls so large they could hold her entire body if she curled up. If she curled up, she says. <laughs> okay, I'm struggling to determine the dimensions of this bowl. It's so big it could hold my entire body if I curl up. <laughs> okay. And in each bowl, there is a substance that represents each faction. Grey stones for abnegation. Water for erudite. I don't know what water's got to do with knowledge. Earth for amity. Same with earth and kindness. I- Lit coals for Dauntless. Okay, that I kind of get. And glass for Candor. Because I guess they see things transparently or whatever. Even the grey stones for Abnegation is a bit weak. Like, oh, they wear boring grey clothes. Let's pop some grey stones in a bowl. Man, it's just symbolism gone wild. And she says, when her name is called, she'll walk to the centre of the three circles. So many circles. And she will get a knife and then she'll cut that into her hand and sprinkle her blood into the bowl of the faction she chooses. So she thinks either my blood on the stones or my blood sizzling on the coals. Seems unnecessary, seems wildly extravagant. And so before her parents sit down, her dad's like, see you soon. And mm, I wouldn't be so sure, old guy. But her mum's like, I love you no matter what. And we know from the dedication that her mum has some depth to her, which we'll discover eventually. And then Caleb's holding her hand and she says, the last time we held hands was at my uncle's funeral as my father cried. Okay, thanks, thanks again for the info. She's just little, doing little info dumps for us, isn't she? And so Marcus gets up 
He says, welcome to the choosing ceremony. Welcome to the day we honour the democratic philosophy of our ancestors. Would we call one faction running the government democratic? Welcome to the day we honour the democratic philosophy of our ancestors, which tells us that every man has the right to choose his own way in this world. Okay, man or woman, or non-gender specific. For a book set in the future, it's using some pretty old-fashioned terminology. Also, I don't know if this free determination is also offered to the factionless people. I guess they don't count in that dream democracy. And he says, our dependents are now 16. They stand on the precipice of adulthood, and it is now up to them to decide what kind of people they will be. Decades ago, our ancestors realized that it is not political ideology, religious belief, race, or nationalism that is to blame for a warring world. I don't, I, I don't know. They, they all probably do come into a part of it. But he says, rather, they determined that it was the fault of human personality of humankind's inclination toward evil in whatever form that is. Okay, they divided into factions that sought to eradicate those qualities they believed responsible for the world's disarray. Yeah, I'd be buying that a lot more if her dad wasn't just like, oh, the pursuit of knowledge corrupts. So like clearly one of the qualities that you've, you've put forward to build a faction out of is already inspiring other negative qualities. But apparently those who blamed aggression formed Amity. And Amity, they dress in red or yellow. And every time she sees them, they all seem kind, loving, and free. But she's like, no, not for me though. Those who blamed ignorance, they became erudite. And she's like, no, I'm I'm not going to be them. Those who blamed duplicity created candor. And she says, I've never liked candor. (laughs) It's funny how she's displaying the quality of candor as she talks about candor. Those who blamed selfishness made abnegation. And she's like, yep, that sounds like me. And those who blamed cowardice were the dauntless. It's, it's like those are the things that you blamed for, for global conflict. You wouldn't have blamed maybe just like money hungry, greedy people. Like greed isn't one of the qualities you're trying to rebel against. Or callousness or cruelty. I don't know. Marcus says, working together, these five factions have lived in peace for many years, each contributing to a different sector of society. And it's like, okay, Marcus, who is this speech for? Everybody in this room on this 20th floor, they know all of this spiel. I mean, Beatrice went to faction history lessons just yesterday. Like she knows this, but you're clearly just saying it for our benefit. But he says, abnegation has fulfilled our need for selfless leaders in government. Okay. Candor has provided us with trustworthy and sound leaders in law. Like, what else do they do? Are they all just lawyers? Erudite has supplied us with intelligent teachers and researchers. Like, surely your most knowledgeable faction, they're getting to do something else. Amity has given us understanding counselors and caretakers. Counselors and caretakers. Uh, That's it? And Dauntless, they just provide protection from threats both within and without. So I think Dauntless had the most cushy job, honestly, because it's, it's very vague. It's very up in the air. No one's given me like full on reasons why Dauntless needs to exist. Uh, and then he says, we, in our factions, we find meaning, we find purpose, we find life. And the motto that she read in her textbooks are faction before blood. They're more important than family. And so he's like, yep, so it's a happy day. Let's all choose our factions. And I'm like, okay, sorting hat. 
And then she's just like a bit overwhelmed. So her knees are locked, her body's stiff. And then she says that she can't really hear what Marcus is saying. And she goes, how will I know when he calls my name? And I'm like, well, he'll call your name. And also you're in a lineup alphabetically. Just wait until the person next to you goes up. You're obviously next. So the first girl, she chooses Amity, which is the same faction from which she came, which I'm assuming is the norm. So it's kind of a boring ceremony. And they use a new knife for each person, which I think is a lovely touch because I was a little worried about that. I was like, oh, okay, we're all using the same knife to, to draw blood in your hands. That's a bit gross. But no, it's a new knife. Fantastic. Oh, and James Tucker from Dauntless. As he's walking up, he trips over. How embarrassing. And then he switches factions. He goes to Candor by, by letting his blood drop on the glass. And a mutter rises from the Dauntless section. And she's like, they'll see him as a traitor from now on. And I'm like, well, he's clearly not cut out the Dauntless, the poor kid. He tripped on the way up to the bowls. You expect him to be fighting on the front lines of this war that's very vague? No, he's not a Dauntless. And they're all muttering, oh, oh, you guys, you all have a choice, but we're going to judge you if you make a choice. Like, fuck off. And apparently his Dauntless family will have the option of visiting him in his new faction in a week and a half on visiting day, but they won't because he left them. Again, another little tradition that they've got, which means nothing. They're like, oh, we have visiting day, but no one, no one visits anyone on visiting day. Then why have visiting day? But she's like, oh, his absence will haunt their hallways and he will be a space they can't fill. And then time will pass and the hole will be gone. Like when an organ is removed and the body's fluids flow into the space it leaves. Humans can't tolerate emptiness for long. Yeah, but Veronica, I think people would die if they're they're missing an organ, regardless of whether or not the, the fluids inside our bodies fill the space. You're dead. What's this metaphor? Then it's Caleb's turn. He squeezes a hand. He walks up and I'm like, yeah, you're next. Here's your heads up, babe. Oh, and the way she describes him walking up to the bowl, taking the knife, and then he breathes in and then he breathes out and then he breathes in. Like she she literally says he breathes out and then in. And then he holds his hand over the erudite bowl. It's like, you know, meant to be like this huge shock that he's picking erudite, his blood's dripping into the water and the water's turning a deeper shade of red. And we're like, oh my God, that's so crazy. But I'm more like, did she really need to describe the breathing process? Oh, he breathes in and then he breathes out and then he breathes in and then he breathes out. And it's just like, way to bury the lead that he just defected from his faction. Anyway, she hears mutters that lift into outraged cries outraged how dare he make a choice and she's like my brother born for abnegation erudite my selfless brother a faction transfer it's like yeah well you're considering it why can't he and if i was her i'd be like oh fuck now i have to stay with my parents but (laughs) she don't think that way and this is when she's like oh my god that explains the stack of books on his desk (laughs) yeah because only erudite can read Oh, and she looks over at the erudite crowd and they're all smug. They're smiling and they're nudging each other. They're like Slytherin when, when a new kid gets called a Slytherin and they're, all, uh, and they're all like, yeah, yeah, welcome to Slytherin. I guess all the Hogwarts houses do that. But, you know, Slytherin are the most smug. Although the Weasley boys in, the, in, in Philosopher's Stone, they're pretty smug too, aren't they? Percy's like, oh, welcome to Gryffindor. Fucking Percy. 
oh, I hate that guy. I know he had a little redemption at the end of Deathly Hallows, but I was like, I still hate you. Like if a character had to die, if a Weasley had to die, wouldn't we have all preferred it had been Percy? Fucking Percy, what a piece of shit. Anyway, she's ripping off Harry Potter and the sorting ceremony. I think that's obvious to everybody. It must have caused such a kerfuffle that even Marcus is like, everybody calm down, excuse me, excuse me, be quiet, please. Like even the abnegation are tittering and and exchanging tense whispers. So then it's her turn, surprise. And I'm thinking the only reason Veronica made this reverse alphabetical order is so that Caleb went first, right? Like that's the only reason that I can think of. But it's just like, you know what, Veronica, you could have named them something different. (laughs) Like if you wanted the order to be that way, just call him Aaron and she can be Beatrice, like problem solved. Ah, so she walks up. She can visualize herself choosing abnegation. She's like, maybe I'll marry Susan's brother, Robert. (laughs) She's like, I'll settle for Robert. I'll wear the gray robes. I'll look at a mirror every three months. And then she looks over at Caleb, who's standing with his new little erudite buddies. And he nods at her. And she's like, oh, he probably knows what I'm thinking. And she's like, well, if Caleb's not fit for abnegation, how can I be? How can anybody be? But then she's thinking like I'm thinking, being like, well, he left me no choice. I've got to be the one that stays with them. And she's like, all right, I'll be the kid that stays. I'll do this for my parents. Oh, and apparently the Dauntless Bowl and the Abnegation Bowl are next to each other. What a coincidence. So she's holding their hand, hovering between them, just really trying to ratchet up the tension. And then blood drips onto the carpet between the two bowls, which is hilarious. And so I think that's meant to be a hint to us being like, oh my God, she's divergent. Like her blood went on the carpet. But I'm thinking like, why is there carpet? You're having a choosing ceremony involving blood and and who knows how many kids cutting up their hands into random silver bowls that are so big that you can fit into them if you curl up. Like why, why would you put that over carpet? Recipe for disaster. Anyway, she gasps that she dripped onto the carpet. I don't think anyone notices. And so then she puts her hands over the coals and she drops her blood on the coals. She says, I am selfish, I am brave. So she chooses Dauntless. What a shock. As if this wasn't signposted for us the whole past five chapters. And that's the end of that chapter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, Now we're on to chapter six. And she's now standing with the dauntless crowd. So then they, then they got to leave. She's dauntless now. So she's heading out with the dauntless. She catches a quick glance at her parents and her father's pissed, but her mum's smiling. So that's something. And she says, we push forward past the abnegation people 
who will probably stay behind to stack the chairs and clean the bowls. Oh, poor abnegation. And then she looks over at Caleb, and he's having a jolly good time just making friends with his little erudite pals. They're smiling, they're shaking hands. And she's saying that he's standing next to a candor boy who also chose erudite. And then she's saying standing on her left is an erudite boy who also chose dauntless with her. And I'm like, the way you're describing it certainly sounds like everybody made a different choice. Even though it's a big deal when someone does it, apparently there's a huge number of people who swapped. And then she says, oh, I spent all this time worrying about what faction I would choose and never considered what would happen if I actually did choose Dauntless. I I mean, I would have given that some thought. And then they all start running down the stairs and she's like, what stairs? Like you can tell she's disappointed. Like, like I just got out of abnegation so I could catch the elevator. Now I've got to go down the stairs, but they're running down the stairs and they're hooping and they're hollering. And she's like, oh, it's not a selfless act for the Dauntless to take the stairs. It's a wild act. Uh, It's an act that would get old pretty quick if I was Dauntless, I tell you what. I'd be like, yeah, guys, that's all all well and good, but there's a perfectly good lift right here. Like, just, let's just catch the lift, guys. I'll meet you down there. And then they're down on the street level. They're all running, and she's like, oh, shit, I better hurry up and catch them. And she says, I have not run anywhere in a long time. Abnegation discourages anything done strictly for my own enjoyment. And that's what this is. And I was like, I don't think so. Running for enjoyment? That's a myth. Like abnegation, running's clearly for exercise. Let people exercise. What a horrible faction. And then she hears a familiar sound, the train horn. And she's like, oh fuck, I've got to jump onto the train. And the erudite boy, he's like, oh God, are we supposed to hop onto that thing? And it's like, yeah. Have you not paid attention when they rock up to class? Is it just Beatrice that's got her eyes open? It can't be a surprise that the trains don't stop. I mean, it's surprising to us because we're new to this book, but these kids have lived here for 16 years. Have you ever seen a train stop? So they're all spreading out in a line on the platform. I guess they're on a platform. They're already at a platform. And then the trains go and pass with its horn blaring and all the doors of each car are open. And then the Dauntless just start jumping in group by group and then only the initiates are left. And so she throws herself sideways into the car, but she doesn't fully make it so she's like clinging onto a handle I, I, I guess with her body half dangling out out of the train then she says finally a candor girl grabs me and pulls me in thanks candor girl you think no one else would pull her in this candor girl's got to do it and then she looks out and there's this poor little erudite boy with red hair a little ginger erudite boy that's what's annoying me as well she keeps calling them by their old factions when it's like well they're all dauntless now babe you don't have to call him erudite boy. He's, he's a dauntless. And then an erudite girl, she's reaching out trying to grab him because he's, he's still running his stumpy little legs trying to catch the train. Lots of erudites defecting to dauntless. Lots of people defecting, apparently. So he doesn't make it. He, he falls to his knees next to the tracks as the train sails away. She says sails away. I don't think a train sails. And she's like, oh, he just failed dauntless initiation. He is factionless now. <laughs> but he's regretting his decisions. And like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna change factions, you'd at least think about maybe catching the train that you all know they catch. Just think it through. If you're not up for catching a train by jumping onto it from the platform, maybe, maybe just go to abnegation or stick with your erudite people. 
You're meant to be knowledgeable and you didn't even do any reading up. But yeah, I think it's pretty rough. Like, oh, you're not courageous enough. Sorry, you have to go and live and be homeless and do construction work. Have fun being a janitor. Like, what a cruel society. So then the candy girl, she introduces herself as Christina. She doesn't seem that bothered by the erudite boy who's now factionless. And so she shakes her hand and she's like, wow, it's been so long since I've shook a hand because the abnegation, we greet each other by bowing heads, a sign of respect. And I'm like, okay, do you not think shaking hands is also a sign of respect? Abnegation is so stupid. And then she's like, oh, I take her hand uncertainly and shake it twice, hoping I didn't squeeze too hard or not hard enough. Like, okay, dial down the anxiety. Oh, and then apparently the, the doors are still open of the train. So there's just all this wind blowing through. Even though we know the factionless drive the trains, apparently they don't shut the doors in between stops. Well, not stops between platforms, since the thing doesn't stop as it sails past. And fucking Beatrice, she says, a fast train means wind. Wind means falling out. Get down. And so she's telling Christina to, to sit down on the ground. What a great chain of logic. I can see why you could have been erudite. And then she says, I guess we're going to Dauntless headquarters. No fucking shit. And then she's thinking, oh no, it's Caleb's turn to make dinner tonight. Who's going to take his place, my mother or my father? (sighs) I guess either of them. Does it really matter? And then she thinks, oh, and when they clear out his room, what will they discover? I imagine books jammed between the dresser and the wall. Books under his mattress. How ridiculous that you've got to hide the fact that you read books. (laughs) And if they're that selfless, would they care? Like how selfish of her dad to like pressure her and Caleb into wanting to stick with abnegation. He doesn't find that ironic. And then she's sort of mad at Caleb for not telling her. It's like, bitch, you've just done the exact same thing. Oh, and then she says, I close my eyes and picture my mother and father sitting at the dinner table in silence. Is it a lingering hint of selflessness that makes my throat tighten at the thought of them? Oh, a lingering hint of selflessness. It doesn't disappear just when you change factions. Oh, I'm I'm dauntless now. I'll no longer be selfless. And then they must be where where they're heading for because someone's like, they're jumping off. And she's like, oh no. The dauntless in the cars ahead of her on the train are jumping out as the train passes a rooftop. And the train has slowed down a bit, at least. And the tracks are seven stories up. So it's a, it's a train in the air. But of course, she's never been on a train. So the thought of leaping out of a moving train onto a rooftop, knowing that there's a gap between the edge of the roof and the edge of the track, makes her want to throw up. Again, then maybe, maybe not pick Dauntless. And then a candy girl's like, we have to jump off. And then a candy boy's like, yeah, I guess. So many people defected. She acts like it's this rare thing, but there's, there's heaps. And the candy boy's like, ugh, that makes a lot of sense. So he's being sarcastic in his truthfulness because, you know, he's still got that lingering candor quality about him. And then an Amity boy, he's like, I'm not doing it. And he's crying because he's scared. Ugh. And Christina, our friend Christina, who we met, that she shook hands with. She's like, oh, come on, bitch. If you don't do it, you fail. And he says, I'd rather be factionless than dead. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 
And Beatrice thinks, I don't agree. I'd rather be dead than empty. Like the factionless. Oh, they're so empty. So then her and Christina, they go to the edge as it passes the roof and they jump off. And then her feet slam into solid ground and pain prickles through her shins. (laughs) And then she's sprawling and she falls over and she hits the gravel. But Christina's having a ball. She's like, well, that was fun. And she thinks, oh, Christina will fit in with Dauntless, the thrill seekers. So apparently Molly, the candy girl, she, she's holding her ankle. So she probably broke her ankle. And then she hears a wail and she turns her head and there's a Dauntless girl standing at the edge of the roof looking down. And yeah, down below them is a body on the pavement. Her arms and legs bent at awkward angles, her hair spread in a fan around her head. And she's like, oh, not, not everyone made it. And even the Dauntless aren't safe. So it was a, it was a Dauntless person that, that died? Someone who grew up as a Dauntless for 16 years. Presumably this is the way they come home from school. Jumped and didn't make it. I don't believe that. This kid must have done it a million times. And so she tells herself like, oh, I better just move on. This is how things work here. And then she's like, oh, my elbow hurts. So she lifts up her sleeve to look at it. And someone goes, ooh, scandalous. A stiff's flashing some skin. And apparently stiff is slang for abnegation. And she's the only abnegation here. So he's obviously talking about her. I love that she explains everything to us. She's like, oh, a bit of jargon. Here's an explanation. Like, you know, we could have figured out that they're talking about her being a stiff. Just through context clues, maybe use it a couple of times. But now nah, she's got to explain every little thing to us. And they're all just moving on very quickly from the dauntless girl who fell off the building. Because this, this other guy, he's like, oh, listen up, everyone. My name's Max. I am one of the leaders of your new faction. Well, actually, he said, listen up, exclamation mark. My name is Max, exclamation mark. I am one of the leaders of your new faction, exclamation mark. That's an overuse of exclamations. There I said it. And he's an old guy because he's got deep creases in his dark skin and gray hair at his temples. And he says, several stories below us is the member's entrance to our compound. If you can't master the will to jump off, you don't belong here. Initiates go first. And so then some erudite bitch, she's like, you want us to jump off a ledge? She's like, that's obviously crazy. And Beatrice thinks, I don't know why it shocks her. <laughs> and she's like, well, is there water or something at the bottom? And an old guy, he's like, who knows? And, and, and everyone's very hesitant, but she's like, I'm proud. It will get me into trouble someday, but that makes me brave. So she walks over to the ledge and she hears people laughing behind her. They're snickering. So she says the building that she's standing on forms one side of a square with three other buildings. In the center of the square is a huge hole in the concrete. She can't see what's at the bottom of it. And she's like, well, this is a scare tactic. Obviously I'll land safely at the bottom. Like, yeah, obviously. Even though that other Dauntless girl's dead on the pavement right now. And for some reason she feels the need to strip. So she takes off her shirt and then underneath she's wearing a gray t-shirt. And it's a, it's a tight t-shirt. She says, it's tighter than any other clothes I own and no one has ever seen me in it before. So, okay, she's flashing a bit of skin. Don't know why it was necessary to, to jump off with your top off. I think she's just shedding her gray abnegation clothes. 
even though she's wearing a grey skin tight t-shirt underneath, whatever. And so she jumps off the building, but she lands in a net. Wow, what a twist. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so relieved. And she's half laughing and she's half hysterical and her body's shaking. And she's like, wow, I jumped off a roof. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm amazed as well about why this is part of the initiation process. Just get a fucking ladder and walk down the building. But they're dauntless, so they gotta be kooky. So then someone helps her off the net onto the ground. And she says, it's a young man. He has a spare upper lip and a full lower lip. And uh, okay, it took me a while to understand what the hell was going on with that sentence. When she said a spare upper lip, I was like, oh my God, he has an extra upper lip. He's just got like a spare one lying around in case of emergencies. But no, I think when she says spare upper lip, maybe, well, I, I st- I'm still unsure. Maybe it means he's, he's not got a mustache or it means he's just got a really thin upper lip. Oh, and then she says he's got really long eyelashes and he's got dark blue eyes. Now, I didn't mention it earlier, but when she was looking at Marcus, when he was handing her the knife, she was like, wow, he's got really dark blue eyes. What an odd color. And, and I was thinking, that's a weird observation to make. Like a dark blue eyes, really that unique. But like, clearly this is, this is Marcus's son. You know, we, we really got the setup that Marcus's son defected from abnegation, went to Dauntless two years ago. She never saw him because he never hung out socially at abnegation. But now he's got the same deep blue eyes. Like why else would she be bringing up his eyes? So spoiler alert, that's my theory. Pretty sure it's correct. And then one other Dauntless girl, she's like, oh my God, a stiff, the first to jump, unheard of. And Marcus's son says, well, there's a reason why she left them, Lauren. And then he says, what's your name? And she says, um, (laughs) like she doesn't know. She's like, well, Beatrice doesn't feel right anymore. And he's like, well, think about it. You don't get to pick again. And then she's thinking, oh, a new place, a new name. I can be remade here. So she settles on Triss. That's that's all. She just dropped the B and now she's Triss. And I'm thinking, God, what a dumb name. But then this Lauren chick, she says, we'll make the announcement for... So the boy that she was describing, Marcus's obvious son, he is called Four. Now that's not a name. That's a number last time I checked. But this Four guy, he says, first jumper, Triss. And then everyone cheers. There's just a crowd there all of a sudden. And they're pumping their fists. And then someone else jumps and falls into the net. And then everyone else cheers them. And then four sets his hand on her back and says, welcome to Dauntless. And that's the end of that chapter. And that's where I'm going to leave you guys. If you have any thoughts, theories, questions, concerns, please let me know. You can reach out on the Instagram, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the website, all of the links and shit are in the show notes and in the little spiel that I have as my outro. Feel free to sign up to Patreon as well, because we're doing Fifty Shades Darker and it is going off. And by going off, I mean, it's terrible. Christian and Anna are back together already. She milked their little breakup subplot for approximately six pages. And now they're back and nothing's changed. He's the same controlling, condescending, patronizing little freak, but he's, he's sexy and that's all she needs. Loving recapping it though. Hate the book, love the recap. 
Reviews are appreciated. Oh, we got a new review. We got a new review today. Let me read it out. This one is from Lee UNC 2013, who says, this podcast has brought me so much joy and so many laughs. It's especially hilarious to hear the minute details that trip Nathan and guests up. Thank you so much, Lee. Really appreciate all your reviews and positive comments. So if you haven't left a review yet, jump on, leave one. Why not? It's fun. And I I need to stop talking. Goodbye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. 